if you would this morning, let's go to the book of the Revelation, the book of the Revelation chapter number 6, or number 17 I should say, I'm way off. All right, Revelation chapter 17, if you would, Revelation chapter number 17. There's going to be two chapters that are dealing with the same subject. We'll look at one this morning, probably have to break it in two parts like we've been doing because there's so much here. We're going to be dealing with the fall of Babylon, the fall of Babylon, which is found in Revelation chapter 17, and then in Revelation chapter 18, we're going to see the Antichrist kingdom fall, both the false religious system in chapter 17 is going to fall, and then in chapter 18, we are going to notice that the political and economic system of Satan will fall, okay? It's good every once in a while to fast forward through prophecy and to realize that when times get tough and when we see the world in the shape it's in, that we can fast forward a little bit and remind ourselves that we may lose a battle here and there, but we ultimately win the war. Church, we're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. And as you see here, that there's going to be two definitive sides. You're either with Christ or you're with the Antichrist and the red dragon, Satan. And I'm going to tell you, if you are, you can fast forward a little bit, look a couple chapters ahead, and they lose. Ultimately, Christ gains the victory. So as we see this morning, I want you to look to the next chapter to point something out, but then we'll go back to chapter 17. Look at Chapter 18, verse number 2. I want to point this out because remember these two chapters go together. And it says here, And he cried mightily with a strong voice, saying, Babylon, the great is fallen, is fallen, and is become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Again, I want you to notice that when the angel cried, he said, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and has become the habitation of devils, which would be demons. Notice he says, it has fallen twice, because in chapter 17, as we'll look back there, we're going to find ecclesiastical religious Babylon will fall, because you've got to understand the church is raptured out in Revelation chapter 4, and the there is a church and a religion that will be that will be active during the tribulation period, but you've got to realize that's the religion of the devil. And that's the false apostate Christendom, if you will, that floats through the tribulation period that the Bible will describe here in a minute is the great horror that sitteth upon many waters. So we'll see ecclesiastical uh, referring to a church, Satan's church, uh, the false apostate religion that will be during that time. The true saints have already left the ground or in heaven. And this false church will float through the tribulation, as I said, and it will ultimately fail. It will ultimately collapse. It will ultimately fall. Then in chapter 18, we're going to see something else. We're going to see Babylon fall in the sense of economically is going to collapse. 
Uh, we know that during the tribulation period, through uh, three and a half years, eventually uh, Satan or the Antichrist will weasel his way in to make a pact with Israel, break that treaty with Israel halfway through the week, mid-tribulation, and in doing so, he will gain economic and political power. He will become the last Gentile superpower of the world, and he will have con complete control of the economy. And how do we know that? Because during the tribulation period, you will not be able to buy or sell without the mark of the beast, the number 666, the number of man upon your right hand or your forehead. So we know he has control of the economy, but not only that, he will use the political platform to gain control of Antichrist. He will be over those ten federations, and then later, after there is, he's powered by the false prophet, and through that uh, de deception and so forth, then we find in Revelation chapter number 13 that people will marvel over him, and he will not just be over that ten federations, he'll be over the entire world as a dictator and will control complete global political power during that time. So let's look at Babylon, chapter number 17, verse number 1. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, and I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that, set upon, that sitteth upon many waters. Verse 2, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have made, been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Well, let's look at a couple things to bring us up to speed. First of all, remember when you study the book of the Revelation, remember it's singular, it's not the book of the Revelations. There's only one Revelation, and that's the Apocalyptus, is where we get the word apocalypse, which means an unveiling. And so Christ is not revealing the future promise. In fact, he's unveiling it and he's laying it bare before us for all to see. So God's not concealed the future to us. He has revealed it through the apocalypse, through the revelation, and he is unfolding future events so that we may see. But you notice in Revelation there is a significance to a number which would be biblical numerology, the study of numbers, which are important, that we know it's full of the number seven. The number seven is the number of perfection or completion or culmination. So in Genesis, everything begins. In Revelation, everything comes to an end. It comes to a completion. We had in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we had seven literal, actual, local churches that existed during that time of John, and they existed in what we call modern-day Turkey, now Asia Minor, and they actually existed. They also represent, I believe, seven church ages throughout history. The Laodicean church age being the age in which we live right now when we see that the church is neither hot nor cold. And God said, I work you as either hot or cold. He said, if not, he'd spew you from his mouth. Okay, we need to pick a side. We're going to see that here in a minute. Seven churches followed by what? Rapture of the church initiates the tribulation period followed by seven seals. The seven sealed book scroll is peeled away. The only the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy to do that, initiating seven seals. After seven seals, the seventh seal reveals the seven trumpets, and the seventh trumpet judgment is going to take us all the way to the half, three and a half year tribulation period, 
uh, time event when the seventh trumpet will open up the seven vials that will take us through the last three and a half years of tribulation. Remember we had seven personages or people who are identifiable. These are Satan. We've seen the woman rep represents Israel and so forth. And then we've seen those seven vials. Now we're getting ready to get, we talked about the seven vials last week. Now we're going to go to the seven dooms. The seven dooms. All right, there's going to be seven of those. This one being the first one. And then we're going to see as we fast forward to the end of the book, we're going to have seven new things. Because things are going to happen rapidly, very quickly from this point. And before you know it, Christ's going to come back, be the battle Armageddon. And Satan will be cast in the, in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. Christ will establish his kingdom. And then we'll reign, rule and reign with him based on how we were faithful in our Christian life. By the way, I emphasize that. It does matter what you do with Jesus Christ once you're saved because it will determine the territory and the responsibilities that you will have or I will have during the millennial reign of Christ. I don't hear a whole lot about that anymore. People say, well, I'm just saved. I'm going to go to heaven. Well, there is a principle in the Bible that teaches rewards and punishments. And so there will be uh, responsibilities for those who have uh, been better stewards and so forth to rule and reign with Christ a thousand years. After that, we'll have the battle of Gog and Magog and so forth. And then we're going to issue in, then we're going to see that new heaven and that new earth. I, I like that. Satan to be defeated, cast into the lake of fire along with the false prophet and the antichrist, and they will burn in all eternity for all they've done in the lake of fire, along with all the unbelieving dead, okay, those who have not accepted the Lord Jesus Christ will live in eternity in the lake of fire, and consequently, or on the other side, Christians will live in heaven forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's talk about those seven dooms real quick. And the first doom is found here in Revelation chapter number 17. This is verses 1 through 18. We're not going to read it. But I'm just going to go through a list of those to take us on past uh, almost to the end of the book of the Revelation. Is The first doom will be Ecclesiastical Babylon. We're going to see that here. Referring to a religion, a false religion, and those who are religious. Folks, religion in itself, religion, and being religious will not get you to heaven being religious. There will be a religion and people who are religious during the tribulation period, but they're following a false lie of the Antichrist, a false religion. They are following an apostate religion. Remember as we studied the little small epistle of Jude that proceeds right before the book of the Revelation, Paul told Timothy also that in the, the last days many shall depart from the faith. There will be a falling away. There must be a falling away first. The falling away is what we call apostasy. And apostasy is when someone knows the truth, they've been faced with the truth, they've been presented with the truth, they know the truth, and they deliberately walk away from, from the truth. That is an apostate. If you want a good example of a biblical character who was religious, who walked close with Christ, who was with him there during his earthly ministry, that no one could identify who he was, let me give you the illustration example of a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. One of the twelve, he was a disciple, 
He walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He looked like the rest of the disciples. He talked like the rest of the disciples. But when it came down to it, he was a deceiver and he was a betrayer and he was a manipulator and Satan entered into him and he never was, by the way, a true believer. He was religious. He walked. No one knew the difference as they said at the Last Supper. One of you will betray me. Is it I, Lord? Is it I? Is it I? No one knew besides Christ who it would be. He was an apostate. He was an apostate. An apostate is someone, a person, who knows the truth, been presented with the truth, and they deliberately walk away from that. Okay, so that's apostate. The falling away that we see right now in the last days is when there are people who are deliberately walking away from true churches that teach the truth, who know the truth, who believe the truth, and they're falling away and they're walking away from it. Secondly, there is the second doom, which will be commercial, economic, or political Babylon, which will fall in Revelation chapter 18, verses 1 through 24. This will be a complete economic and political collapse that Satan has uh, put together. And let me remind you, anything that the devil has and he constructs for your life, it may be nice, you may live in some pleasures, you may live with some prosperity from it, but when the end comes, I can guarantee you it's going to fall about as fast as it was built. It is going to collapse. It is not going to last when it comes to Satan. The third doom will be the doom of the beast, the Antichrist, and will be the doom of the false prophet. And so we have there Revelation chapter 19, verse number 20, we have the battle of Armageddon when all the, the world, the unbelieving people are rallied together with the Antichrist and the false prophet to come together for that, one of the last battles in Armageddon to come against Jesus Christ. We see the, and then Christ will come back and it will be an annihilation of his enemy. They are no match for the Lord Jesus Christ. All the generals, all the armies, all the tanks, all the military might, all the missiles, are no match for the creator of all the universe. And by the way, when we come back, when he comes back riding that white horse, we'll come back with him because we're on the winning side. Amen. We'll already be in heaven. And when we come back the second time, we won't be on that end. It's going to be on the losing side. We'll be on the winning side. So the doom of the beast, the antichrist, and the false prophet, both together, will, the Bible says, will be cast alive into the lake of fire at that point to burn and to be tormented forever and ever and ever. And I say amen to that. Fourthly, will be the fourth doom, will be the doom of the kings, the anti-Christian nations. They'll be totally obliterated and annihilated in the battle of Armageddon. They will be totally wiped out. In fact, we got a little preview. Revelation chapter 14 told us that what will happen there is when the great battle of Armageddon comes, it will be so bloody, so gruesome, so, uh, so terrible and awful that the blood will be up to the horse's bridle for 200 miles in either direction. Right there in the valley of Jezreel, uh, we, we find the, the battle of Armageddon. That's the fourth doom. The fifth doom will be the battle of... Uh, of Gog and Magog, 
This will be after the thousand-year millennial reign. Remember, the Satan will be cast into the bottomless pit, and he will be uh, arrested there, jailed there, if you will, for a thousand years. And Christ establishes his kingdom. After the thousand-year millennial reign, will Satan go back one more time, knowing he has a short time, to be released, and he will rally the nations again against Christ. It will be the, the battle of Gog and Magog. That's found in Revelation chapter 20, verses 7 through 9. The sixth doom, I really like this one. This is an annihilation of the last enemy, okay? which will be the doom of Satan. Revelation chapter 20 and verse number 10, when the old devil, Lucifer, who fell from heaven and took the third of the angels with him, will that was cast down, that deceived Eve and in the garden, and Adam was in the transgression that caused the fall of man, the temptation, who for centuries have destroyed families and deceived people with the gospel of Christ and caused people to be deceived and caused people to die and go to hell by deceiving them and so forth. Those he's tortured, those he's uh, done all these horrible things to over the years, throughout the centuries, the one who will uh, deceive people during the tribulation, who will go against Christianity and have Christians put to death during that time, have them with the guillotine and so forth. And all during that time, he will be completely annihilated in verse number 20. Now, he'll be alive, but you look at chapter 20 and verse number 10 says, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, remember they've already been cast, and shall be what? Tormented day and night forever and ever. And I say, Amen. Amen. And then we have the seventh doom. This is Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. This will be the last and final judgment. It will be the doom of the unbelieving dead. This is called the last judgment. It will be the great white throne judgment. This will not be a judgment for Christians. We, if you're a Christian and you accept Christ, your sins have been judged at Calvary. Amen. Never to be held against you anymore, to be forgiven. Your sin, as far as the east is from the west, washed in the blood of the Lamb, hey, justified, made righteous through Christ. Uh, pure and holy and will be judged if the judgment seat of Christ that is already at this point transpired. We'll be judged in heaven not for our salvation. We'll be judged for our works, our works. What we've done in this body since we've been saved. We'll be judged according to our works and our motives in which we've done that that's what, not what I'm talking about here. This will be a doom of the unbelieving dead. It will be the great white throne judgment. It will be the judgment in which Christ will judge those who are lost. So let's say if someone was to die right now without Christ, according to the Bible, okay, because that's, why, that's what we go. We go according to the scriptures and what the word of God says, whether our mind can conceive it, whether intellectually or academically people try to reject it that makes no difference we go by the word of God and what the word of God says what the word of God settles it the Bible says his word is forever settled in heaven ought to be settled in our hearts 
It's already been settled. So the Bible says if a person dies right now, that person will immediately, immediately be, before they're buried, okay, they will be, once you leave here, you'll be plugged into one of two places. If you know Christ, Paul said to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. You'll be immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus at that point. To be absent from the bodies, be present for the Lord. Not to wait later for a resurrection. There'll be a resurrection when there's a reuniting of the body and the rapture and so forth. And, but that you'll be, you're going to be somewhere. You're not just going to be annihilated, not in some sleep or anything like that. On the other side of that, what about somebody that's lost? Well, we have an indication of what happens there. In Luke chapter number 16, when the Lord Jesus spoke on hell, a literal hell, it wasn't a parable, it wasn't an allegory, it wasn't just some story, it was a historical event that took place. There was actually a rich man that was unnamed, and there was a man by the name of Lazarus. And the Bible says the rich man fared sumptuously every day, and the time came where Lazarus, he just won the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table, Moreover, the Bible says the, door, the dogs, I should say, came and licked his sores. And there came a time that both of them, whether rich or poor, beggar or billionaire, is going to die one day. And Lazarus died being a believer. And he went to Abraham's bosom. Of course, that's Old Testament. Now be absent by his presence of the Lord. And then the Bible says the rich man was buried he died and was buried and in hell. He lifted up his eyes being in torments. So if someone dies now before the judgment, the great white throne judgment, they're going to be in hell. Let's say the unbelieving, they're going to be in hell. Folks, there's a literal hell that people go to that are not saved. That's just a pure, hard, biblical facts. We don't hear a whole lot about it anymore because people say, well, I might, I might be offended, but it's still the facts. The facts are the facts, the biblical facts, all right? There's no denial of it. You can deny it, but doesn't, it, it's, it's a real place. Okay? Now what will happen is you really ponder sometimes about the rich man in hell. It's, it's hard to fathom. I remember when I was a young person, we would have these camp outs, and we would go, and they would build these large bonfires. I'm talking about, it looked like, uh, I'm not talking about one of these little pits. I'm talking about one of these real tall, all the way up from the floor to the ceiling, of a square that they would light as a bonfire and we go out there in the cool of the night at this conference and they would get a old preacher boy he I don't think he went to cemetery or uh, seminary or the cemetery amen and he reared back and I'm gonna tell you one thing with that big blazing bonfire behind him he preached on hell and I'm telling you what as I looked in that flame that was tall as this ceiling I'm telling you one thing, I've got at least uh, a little bit of an IQ, and I'm telling you one thing, I looked in that flame and I thought about if I was to die, being in that flame and torment forever and ever and ever. That's hard to fathom. That's hard in our little pea brains and, our, and, and in our intellect as is, is best that we can try to Think about that there is a literal hell and it lasts for all eternity, forever suffering. The smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever. No relief, no water, no food in hell. And to think of all the Sunday school lessons, all the sermons, 
All the scriptures, all the warnings, all the things that are given to us out through this life, because God is not slack concerning His promises, but is long-suffering us. We're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. God gives you ample time to be saved. God gives you opportunity time and time again to call on Him. And if you reject that, there's nowhere else for you to go. Hey, if you don't want to spend eternity with Christ in heaven, then there's only one other place for you to go. And that's hell that was never, ever, ever intended for man to go to, by the way. It was, it was constructed for Satan and his angels. There's no reason I can see today that anybody especially in Bassett, Henry County, Virginia, or America, should die and go to hell with the gospel witness that we have been given on every street corner with the church, with the gospel preaching, with the technology that we have today to trust and believe on Him. When you think about it, that great white throne, there's going to be a time where the unbelieving dead are risen from the flames of hell and they are going to be in heaven for a brief time. Won't you think about that? Will the lost go to heaven? They will at least this one time. The great white throne judgment. And in that judgment, that's when Christ, who will be judge, will say unto them the saddest words ever ushered, I never knew you. Never knew you. What happens after that, preacher? Is there time for rebuttal? The answer is no. Is there time for me to present my case and change my mind? No. Is there time to say I'm sorry? No. In fact, the Bible says those that face Christ will, His voice is of many waters. So if you think you're going to have an opportunity at that point to change your mind or repent, it's too late. What you ought to do, travel up to Niagara Falls and try to argue with that. And that's a small idea or something to hang your hat on or would it be trying to argue with Christ during that time. That is the great white throne judgments. So we've got a couple things uh, happening and transpiring. We'll look at three things very quickly. And we're not going to get through all this. So don't get nervous, right? <laughs> all right. Invitation. First thing I want you to see, we're going to look at three things. We'll finish the rest of it tonight. Number one, we're going to see in Revelation 17 an invitation to John. Secondly, we're going to see the interpretation of what it's talking about. And then thirdly, we're going to have the explanation of what Babylon is. So let's look at the first thing. This is probably about as far as we'll get today, this morning. Invitation, Revelation 17, verses 1 and 2. He says that one of the seven angels that had the seven vials comes to him. Now remember the seven vials have already been distributed in that contain God's wrath upon an unbelieving world. And so here comes one of those seven angels. He has his empty vial. It's already been poured out. And he invites John, as he says there in Revelation chapter 17, verse 1. He says, he talked with me, saying unto me, come hither. He wanted, he, there is an invitation, come hither. Now later there will be an invitation in comparison to this and in contrast to this in Revelation chapter 21 verse number 9 
when John is given the invitation to come and see the Lamb's wife, all right? The church presented as a, a bride, the Lamb's wife during that time, Revelation chapter 21, verse number 9. So come hither, which means an urging, a calling, an invitation to come, to see, to hear, and, and so forth. And what he says is, I will show unto thee the judgment, so we know this is going to be a judgment, of the great whore, that's pretty strong language, but it's biblical language, that setteth upon many waters. We see this is going to be a judgment of what? Remember, religious, ecclesiastical, and I say that word meaning a church, all right, religion. Let me remind you that we have a push today which is, is the spirit of Antichrist. The Bible says in John's epistles, the spirit of Antichrist doth already work. The stage is already being set. What you've got to notice is what Satan wants is he wants, and he'll have it during tribulation, the push for one world religion. He'll have the push for one world currency, one world economy, one world political system. Okay? So we're against anything that refers to uh, coming together as uh, one. All right, it's coming together as one world government, one world currency, uh, and one world religion. Let me explain that to you. Now, when it comes to the, the Bible and when it comes to Christianity, true Christianity, you've got to def define yourself, and you've got to pick a side, friend. You've got to pick a side. Some you know, people today, they're weaving and bobbing, and they're, they're riding the fence. But I'm telling you, if you ride the fence, you'll hit a post pretty soon. You ride that ride that fence, you got to pick a side, stand with a side, and I've decided I'm going to stand with Christ. And I don't want anybody thinking I'm weaving and bobbing and double-minded and, and unstable in all my ways. No, I'm with Christ, and I'm not ashamed of it. We've got to pick a side. Today, people are like, well, all governments are the same. No, they're not. No, they are not. A dictatorship is not the same as we have in America. Say amen right there. You say, We're all, it's all the same. No, it's not. We enjoy our freedoms here in America. These dictatorships are not the same government systems that we have. Oh, preacher, they're all the same. Listen, hey, things that are different are not the same. Things that are different are not the same. When it comes to religion, you say, all, all religions get to heaven. You didn't read that in the Bible because not all roads lead to heaven. Jesus Christ said, not some preacher, not some priest, said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man, no man, no man come unto the Father but by me. He's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. If you get to heaven, it'll be because of Christ and no other way. Well, preacher, we believe all the same. No, we don't. No, we don't. No, we don't. Because if we was all the same, we'd be the same. We'd be on the same. No. There is a definitive difference between those, there are true religions and there are false, counterfeit, apostate religions. There are true preachers, there are false preachers. And that is just the way it is. That is going to be a judgment of the religious ecclesiastical Babylon. But folks, we have that today, this antichrist mentality that everything's the same. Let me say something blunt and frank so nobody will wonder uh, what I meant by it. Say amen right there. Today, I'm not sure if I'm a boy or a girl. Pick a side. If you need help with that, when you was born, that was defined for you. Say amen. amen. 
the Bible says when God created man, he created, male and female, he created them. Amen. Ain't we having a good time? You say, preacher, that might offend somebody. Well, I'm okay with that. Oh, we, we just don't know. We just can't. Boy, it gets on my nerve. We, we just, you know, we're all, no, we're not all the same. We're not all the same nationalities. We're not we're all the same religions. Not everything's the same. We're afraid to define things anymore and call them for what they are. Judgment of this religious ecclesiastical Babylon, a worldwide religious system that will be an, an apostasy. Folks, we can't yoke up with every person that calls himself a religion. We I'll tell you how, what we do is we take the word of God and the Bible says try the spirits whether they be of God or not. Try them. Put them to the test. And you say, what's the test? If what they say lines up with this book, they're all right. And if what they say does not line up with this word of God, then they're a false prophet and a false teacher and a false religion. And I'll call them right on the carpet about it. Okay? And that's what's going to be in this this thing, they come it all together. This is not too far-fetched, folks. There are other arguments if somebody says, well, I don't believe the Bible. Well, look in the world today. Let's just look at world history, American history, and world history. Back in the early 1900s, under Woodrow Wilson, we have the, we had the League of Nations that was created. It later became the, the uh, League of Nations, the United Nations. We hear about the European Union. We see the push for one world currency, one world government. Everything, everybody comes together, one world religion. So if you just look at world history, you can see that the Word of God is true and accurate and as fresh as, uh, as today we see it. He has to come, and what he views there, the Bible calls, a very harsh language, he calls this false religion, is represented as a woman, and the Bible says that she's a great whore, which means an idolater, a harlot, a whore. Four times this woman is in this chapter is called a harlot. Revelation chapter 17, verse number 1, verse number 5, verses 15 through 16. What is her sin? Her sin is fornication. Her sin is fornication. Here's a contrast. Here he's invited to come over to see Babylon, which is in the wilderness. Later, John will be invited to see the Lamb's wife, will be the new Jerusalem. Right here... He is invited to come see a harlot. Later on, he is going to be viewing a pure bride of Christ. The true church is a pure virgin, Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 to 8. And false religious system, according to the word of God, is a harlot. That's what we have here, the invitation to come and see the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with wine of her fornication. Now, we're going to stop right there for the sake of time. Tonight we will see the interpretation of what that means, and then we're going to look at the biblical explanation. You say, what is all this scarlet? What does the woman represent? What does the beast with the scarlet represent? What are these figurative of? What do they speak of prophetically? The good thing is, if you keep on reading the rest of the chapter, the Word of God sometimes... It, it, well, it, not sometimes, all the time, is the best interpretation and the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible, as we'll look later, and it is explained to us later in the chapter. Would you stand with